Well, it's a great privilege uh, to speak today. Unfortunately, my topic isn't the great subject to speak on, God's judgment. But uh, I worked out this weekend. Um, my wife is out of town, and she is heading out to help our girl move back from school and, uh, and things. And so, But one of her last things to me was knowing me and knowing the weekend we're in with hockey around here. She's like, Brent... You're not going to wear your Minnesota Wild jersey, are you? And of course I said, no, I will not. And so I get here, the sound booth guys, they got all their Blackhawks stuff on, and I'm sitting here with nothing. So I thought I had to participate in one way <laughs> and bring out my Minnesota Wild parking only sign and let you stare at that while the whole time you hear the message this morning. Uh, just, just to keep you humble. Now, I'm not that mean. Uh, I won't do that. But Ed Taylor showed me a great picture. This, where are you? There he is. Had a picture and it said, Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, but no cup to drink the water with. <laughs> oh! Ah! I, I like that one even. That was good. That was good. Well, I hope you're all sitting down today because we're going to talk about God's judgment. God's judgment. Not a topic we like to talk about very often. Probably, for most of us, something we don't talk about very often. God's judgment. For a lot of us, when we think about God's judgment, we think of the fire, hell, and brimstone type of mentality that God just, you know, wants to just throw down fire on and burn the place up. Others of us think of God as, you know, just waiting for us to mess up so he can squish us like a bug. You know, just waiting for that opportunity. Others think of that whole God enlightening thing. In fact, I've had several people when I invite them to NBC or, or you know, to a church gathering, they're like, well, I can't come. If I come, lightning's going to strike me. You know, we got this crazy image of God just waiting, just waiting to zap us in some way. We think of him as an angry old man. And sometimes if we're not careful, some of us Christians sitting inside the church walls can have the idea, well, we're good Christians. God spared us from his judgment, but he can hardly wait to take them sinners out there and take them to the woodshed and just give them a good beating. Okay? Sometimes that's the way we look at God's judgment. But what is God's judgment really about? What is God's judgment really about? Our message this morning really is more of an introduction. Uh, we're in our It's Complicated series, and we're talking about different complicated issues. And one of the great complicated issues is God's judgment and some of the wrath that the Bible shows him pouring out. And so over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at topics like how can a good loving God send people to hell? We're going to talk about God's genocidal tendencies. Uh, but just to calm you down and let you know, on Mother's Day next week, we're not going to talk about hell. Okay? <laughs> You can bring the mother-in-law and it will be safe. Uh, sometimes that's hell enough. Um, but I, luckily my mother-in-law was here last night. Hopefully she's not listening to the, to the whatever, live stream thing. And my wife will go, I can't believe you said that. So you're the only service that will probably get that. But um, 
But no, next week for Mother's Day, Pastor Day is going to be speaking a great message on just how the influence of Christ uh, and, and the picture of uh, godly women living a Christ-reflective life. And so uh, be here next week. Yeah, we're not going to talk about hell and, and mothers next week, so uh, you'll be okay. But let's be honest. Um, we have a lot of questions about God's judgment. We have questions like, why, do, why does bad things happen to good people? We have questions about why does God allow or seem to even send you know, judgment through creation like the earthquake this last week in Nepal? And uh, what are God's judgments and what aren't God's judgments? All of those are great questions. But this morning, we're not going to address those questions specifically. Uh, we'd be here a long time trying to get into all the nuts and bolts. But what we hope to do today is give us a brief glimpse of what God's judgment looks like. And of course, if you're talking about God's judgment, that brings us right to weddings. And um, that's a little Errol transition there. <laughs> Pastor Errol's so good at just, of course, it brings us to weddings. I've uh, been to a few weddings that felt like judgment, if you know what I mean. But Matthew 22 Matthew 22 gives us some insight of Jesus talking about a wedding feast and giving us some input of what, it, what this wedding feast and God's judgment have together to give us a glimpse of what does God's judgment really look like. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 22 of a wedding for us to get a glimpse of looking at what his kingdom really looks like. And here is kind of the foundational principle we have to come to grips with before we can even begin to look further into God's judgment. And that is the simple fact that God's judgment is both love and it is both justice. God is a God of love. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. God is love. We know all those verses very good. But the Bible also speaks of a God who is just. Who does not let the evil go unpunished. And so we have this balance of God's love and God's justice combined in God's perfect judgment. And we need to understand that this morning. It's much like, like, the, video, or like the slide shows. It's an abstract piece of art. The colors of love and the colors of the justice are so intertwined, you can't often compare where one begins and one ends. That's God's judgment. It's justice and it's love. Now Matthew 22 tells us the story of a big blowout wedding that a king has. He spares no expenses. Uh, this will definitely not be my wedding for my girls, okay? Uh, uh, definitely won't be a big blowout. So if you're invited, don't expect a big blowout. And just to let you know, I'm not letting you know of anything. Nothing's happening, okay? <laughs> nothing's happening that I know of, okay? That makes me nervous, so nothing's happening. But... When Pastor Errol gave me this topic, I have to say, I, I just like, oh my goodness, you know, Pastor Dave gets Mother's Day and talk about Jesus and all the good things, and I'm supposed to talk about judgment again. And uh, Errol passed on an awesome book to me, and if you would like to do some more study on this, I, I encourage you to grab it. It's called The Skeletons in God's Closet, 
and uh, Joshua Ryan Butler uh, wrote it and has some amazing insights and just some different approaches at looking at God's judgment. And so uh, a lot of my thoughts today, I've gleaned from his writing there, and so I don't want you to think I'm this smart, okay? Uh, He's helped me out immensely today to look at this difficult topic of God's judgment. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, open up to Matthew 22 if you haven't already. And... uh, Let's get into this story that Jesus shares, this parable. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, and just to remind you what a parable is, a story with God teaching a meaning, teaching a truth to people from. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Now, as we begin this, let me just introduce you to these characters. The king is going to be representing God. Of course, his son is Christ. Verse 3, he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. This, This king sends out his servants with an invitation. They didn't mail it in those days. You went out and you personally invited And this is a picture of God sending his prophets to the people of Israel, telling them God's kingdom is coming. Prepare yourself. Be ready. Do all the preparations that need to be ready. And as we learn in verse 3 there, the king is saying he's sending his servants to those who had been invited, those that already knew the kingdom was coming, those who already knew the wedding was coming. They had it on their calendar. They were ready to come. But when the invitation finally comes, and they finally are invited, being told everything is ready, they refuse to come. Verse 4, then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. He sends out another invitation. He says, more even particular this time. He says, everything's right. In fact, the food's on the table. The wine's poured. The fatted calf has been killed. It's been barbecued. We're ready to party. Verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Wow. Kind of intense for a wedding, don't you think? I mean, I've been to a few weddings that are intense, but that's a little over the top. This is a picture of God reaching to his people Israel over and over again. He's putting on a wedding for the world and he invites his friends, his family, his Jewish people, the nation of Israel first. He says, it's ready, come on in. But they refuse. And what is interesting about this story and that's so over the top, you know, you and I, what do we do when we refuse an invitation? We RSVP, RSVP back, no thanks. These guys beat up the messengers and kill them. God keeps saying, I'm throwing a party. Come. They go, we want nothing to do it. We're... And they literally kill the prophets. 
The king sends out his invites over and over, but the people are so busy with their own life, with their own business, with so many other things, they didn't even want to come, and they were even enraged that they had been invited. Unbelievable. But then we see God's response in verse 7. What does he do? He burns their cities and he kills some of them. Um, just between you and me, I think God's overreacting. It's a wedding. You don't want to come to my daughter's wedding someday? I don't care. It's going to be cheaper for me. <laughs> but this isn't about a party. This is about God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is everything to God. This is a picture of God sending His people into exile and even sending His own Son and His prophets to the people and they continually reject Him. God brings judgment on these people. These people that are self-serving themselves. They're self-served in their wickedness. He warns them. In fact, we see two invitations given. Come, the wedding's ready. Come, the wedding's ready. I don't want you to miss out on this. His love reaching to him. He's patient over and over. And believe me, God is patient with us, is he not? Over and over and over. But finally, his justice must be met. God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. And we see that played out here. Here's the first thought in this story I want you to think on. God wanted a wedding, and he found himself waging a war. If you've been through putting a wedding together, you know sometimes it turns into a war. Different personalities, different things get involved. It's supposed to be this grand party, this exciting thing that's happening. Two people coming together. This is awesome. Just in an earthly matter of fact. But think of this, God is saying, I've got a wedding of me and my creation. And I'm wanting everybody to come. I'm wanting my people to be a part of this. And yet they refuse and they turn their backs. He had been patient. He had been deliberate. He had been obvious in his invitation. There was no mistaking what God was up to. So why does God judge these people so harshly? Because they knew him. They had, quote-unquote, relationship with him. They are on the guest list. They were ready to be invited. They knew him, but they didn't want to have anything to do with him. Their lives were too full of everything else. They were going through the motions of a relationship, but not really connecting with God. And if we're not careful, we can fall into the same place. We can be quote-unquote Christian. We can be quote-unquote churchgoers sitting in nice, wonderful, soft chairs enjoying great music as Carlos and the worship team bring us week after week. Great messages on different wonderful topics that challenge us and think us through God's Word. But if we're just sitting through these chair, on these chairs going through the motions of church but not interested in God truly transforming our lives, we are just as bad as those guests that refuse the invitation. See, God isn't interested in a bunch of people just coming and sitting. He's interested in taking people and transforming their lives. Jonathan Edwards, the old Puritan preacher, 
in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You're probably thinking, boy, Pastor Brent should have just read that to us this morning. That would have been more comforting. Um, But his message, Sinners and Hanger God, it, most of us read it in high school or college or somewhere along the way. Amazing message. In fact, they tell us that people are literally clinging on to the pews and the things they could get a hold of so afraid that they were literally going to fall into the pit of hell. I mean, so moving this message was. But the interesting part about this message is where it was delivered. It wasn't delivered in a municipal building somewhere to a crowd of sinners. It wasn't delivered on the street corner to whoever was passing by uh, and he was being a street preacher just shouting out, you're going to go to hell, you know, turn or burn. He's speaking inside the walls of a church. And he delivers this message to church people like you and me. And he says, you're sinners. We've been playing the game of church, but we're not allowing the God of this church to transform our lives. We're going through the motions, but we're refusing the invitation. Jesus calls us to prepare for the wedding. And if we don't prepare and we refuse the invitation, there will be God's judgment to reckon with. That's a sober thought we don't think of very often. In our day and age, in fact, if you were at Master's Men yesterday, we talked about this, just the idea that a lot of times our messages today are a lot more lovey-dovey type messages of God in us rather than to realize the soberness of God's judgment. But here's the amazing part of the story as it continues. The king is not satisfied with an empty banquet hall. Let's read on together. Verse 8. Then he said to his servants... The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited do not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and find and invite to the banquet anybody you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. The king does not want his banquet hall empty. So he sends out a broad invitation, whoever will come. And he says, I want you to invite the good and the bad. I mean, could you imagine people standing at the doors as people are coming in? There's a good one, there's a bad one, there's a good one, there's a bad one. I mean, crazy. But Jesus is wanting to get the point across to his listeners. This isn't about good people coming into the kingdom. This is about the work that Jesus Christ can do in your life to bring you to the kingdom. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. God is throwing a wedding, and he wants the world to come. God is throwing a wedding, and he wants the world to come. Too often, we look at God as the bouncer of heaven, standing there, Nate Selk style, (laughs) keeping the world at bay. You're going to have to get past me to get into my banquet hall. We think God's just looking out to find something in our life that will keep us out of heaven. Oh, let me see. Oh, I saw saw what she did today. Bam, smash her like a bug. But this story here gives us a totally opposite picture of what God does. Instead of being the bouncer, he's the greeter. And he says, come on in. 
The good people, come on in. The bad people, and you're not bad people, don't get, you know. And, you know, somebody told me earlier, said, last service, they said, Pastor Brent, you pointed with one finger over here to the good, one people over here to the bad, and then I said the ugly, and I did that, you know. I wasn't meaning we're all ugly this morning, okay? But that's what the invitation did. It went to the good, the bad, the ugly. God says, I want everybody to come in and join with me. I want everybody to be in here. God is on a hunt to fill his banquet hall. He's wanting to put the politician next to the plumber. He's willing to seat the CEO next to the homeless. He's willing to put the athlete next to the couch potato. He's even willing to put wild fans next to Blackhawk fans in the kingdom. Heaven, help us. The call is not only for invitation to ourselves, but he says, go out, tell everybody, and then have them tell everybody else, I want this place full. You and I, we are servants. We are sent out by the King of Kings to let this world know God's having a party and he wants you there. Don't miss it. And I'll be honest, I think a lot of us are going to be very surprised when we get to heaven and we see the signatures in God's wedding guest book. There's going to be a lot of signatures there that we, how'd they sneak in? And there'll be probably a few signatures missing that we thought were sure things. God does not invite us because we've earned it. He invites us because he wants us there. God does not invite us because we've earned it. He invites us because he wants us there. There was not one person on that street corner that had earned an invitation into the banquet. They weren't even friends of this man. But he invited them in. Too often as church people, we can act like we earned this invitation because of our good behavior, because of our church attendance, because of our level of morality, because of our giving. But every one of us here this morning, the good, the bad, the ugly, every one of us are here this morning. We are invited to the party because of the mercy of God through the sheer grace of Jesus Christ. There is not one of us here that will enter into the kingdom of God because we were churchy enough, because we had great attendance, because we were good enough. Every one of us will come into the kingdom of God by the simple gift of grace of Jesus Christ. Paul said it well, and we hear it often, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is a gift of God, not of any work that you've done so that you cannot boast. It is by grace. It is God's gift. God doesn't invite us because he has to. He does because he wants to. He wants you there. Scripture says he wills that none would perish. He wants everybody to be part of the kingdom. Now this morning we've seen how God judges and he pushes off those who had turned and refused the invitation. But does that mean that we all just automatically are in? That that mean that God just takes us all in our sin and everything else and just invites us in? Well, let's go back to the story here and read just a little bit more. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. 
Though the net of the invitation had been spread wide and God had invited everyone into the party, this man had showed up to this wedding unprepared and ill-dressed. Because see, in the Jewish culture, when you went to a wedding, you put on your wedding clothes. That makes sense, doesn't it? Just like some of us that grew up in church, you know, years ago, we used to have our, I remember a little boy, as a little boy growing up, I had my church clothes. I didn't wear them any other day of the week except for church on Sunday. And so the Jewish culture had wedding clothes, clothes that they would only wear for a wedding. They were set aside, and it was an obligation. If you were invited to a wedding, you wore wedding clothes. And the cool thing was, is if you were on the poorer side and maybe didn't have the money to get wedding clothes, the host was obligated to have wedding clothes for you to use. So when you were invited to a wedding, whether you had wedding clothes or not in the closet at home, you would get some wedding clothes when you got to the banquet hall and you would be part of the celebration. So as we see this man that enters into the banquet hall without wedding clothes, first of all, He didn't go get his wedding clothes if he had some. Second of all, he decided he's going to do it his way and he didn't want the host's wedding clothes. He was selfish. He was prideful. He was doing it his own way. This man accepted the invitation, but he brought his rebellion into the banquet hall. And the king doesn't let him go and he points him out and he lets him know. He says, Sir, where are your wedding clothes? In fact, he calls him friend. He says, friend, where are your wedding clothes? I've got some over here if you want. And the man is just speechless. He's unrepentant. And so the king says, grab this man and throw him out of here. Sounds a little over the top once again. But no, remind yourself, this is God's kingdom. God is telling his people, don't you realize? I give you everything. All you have to do is accept it. You don't even have to bring your own wedding clothes. I've got wedding clothes for you. Just come. See, God doesn't allow wedding crashers to poison the party. God doesn't allow wedding crashers to poison his party. He's willing to step in. Butler had a great quote in his book, and I really like this. He says, if we will not allow God to cast the sin out of our lives, then God will cast us out with our sin. Let me say that again. If we will not allow God to cast the sin out of our lives, then God will cast us out with our sin. Are you clothed with the proper garments? The garments that the king was inferring to, and most scholars believe, as we think of God's kingdom, the garment is the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't matter whether you grew up in church or whether you grew up on the street. It doesn't matter how long you've been around or how young you are. Every one of us come into the kingdom through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, 
He, he speaks to his readers. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. He says, everything I had in my life before, all my money, all my prestige, all my politics, everything, it was just all garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. Not because I'm a good person. Not because I follow the law so precisely. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The simple definition of righteousness is to be in right standing with. To be right with the banquet host. And the only way you will be made right is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And these garments are free, but they'll cost you everything. This morning, as we kind of pull our thoughts together out of the story, let me leave you with just four good reminders concerning God's judgment this morning that I think we need to be aware of. The first one is this, that God's judgment is perfect. That God's judgment is perfect. God is a perfect judge. We have no idea what that looks like in our, in our world today. We have a judicial system in America that they say is one of the best in the world, but yet what do we have? Appellate court after appellate court everywhere because judges make bad decisions. Those of us watching sporting events this weekend, we have great referees, we have wonderful umpires, but guess what we have now? Instant replay. Because no earthly judge is perfect. But our God is perfect in his judgment. John said it just so simply, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. God is perfect. The, the churchy word, the biblical word, the theological word that is used is holy. And we heard Pastor Carlos speak of that earlier, that God is holy, God is pure, God is perfect, He's set apart, He is something so far above everything else. God is holy. He's a perfect judge. So we got to know God's judgment is perfect. Bottom line, God's judgment is perfect. Second thing I want you to go away with this morning, realizing God's judgment brings clarity. Let's be honest, things are not always as they seem in this life. And God's judgment coming into a situation is much like sunlight shining through darkness. What was hidden now comes to light. We're, we're surface people. I don't care how deep a person you are. For most of us, we are surface people. We look on outward appearances. In fact, when Samuel the prophet was looking for the king of Israel in that story in the Old Testament, he went and he found one of Jesse's young sons that was, you know, tall, dark, handsome. He looked like a leader. And Samuel said, that must be the one God's chosen to be king. And God taps him on the shoulder and goes, no, that's not the one. It's that ruddy little kid hiding in the corner over there, the shepherd kid. That's the one I want to have king. And Samuel looks at God, are you crazy? He's just a kid. Look at this man. He's a born leader. God, what is his famous word? He says, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God's judgment brings clarity. 
As I said, things are not always as they seem. Our superficial judgments are so wrong. We need God's judgment. You look even in our Illinois political system. Things are not always as they seem, are they? Judgment brings clarity. You cannot hide from God's justice, my friend. You might be able to fake some of us out. You might even be faking out people sitting right next to you this morning. But you will never fake God out. He sees everything. And that brings us to number three there. God's judgment brings justice. God's judgment brings justice. We live in a world full of unfairness, hurt, injustice, trauma, war, famine. You name it, we got it. This last week, all you had to do was watch the news and you saw pretty much everything. We have people screaming for justice today. But the interesting fact, and Pastor Dave brought this up to me last night after he heard the message. He says, the funny thing is, we all scream for justice. But we want justice for us. We want mercy for us. Because if the tables are turned, we don't want the justice on us. You know, I, I don't want that person to get justice on me. But God's judgment will bring pure justice. Pure justice. God loves us so much, he's unwilling to let our sin just slip by. Hebrews 12 gives us the illustration of a father and a child. He says, a father that truly loves their child will discipline them child. In fact, if they don't discipline a child, they're an illegitimate father, he calls them. He says, same way, he says, as I, as a heavenly father, I judge my children. And why do we discipline? Why do we judge our kids? Just because we want to? Just because they tick us off? Just because I get a good high out of beating a kid once in a while? Okay, that's not too bad. No, I'm just teasing. Why do we judge? Why do we discipline? It's to help immaturity lead to maturity. There is a process in bringing justice. Interesting thing I came across in in this message was uh, out of uh, Butler's book. He made allusion to the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And the story of Cain and Abel, two brothers that fought, and Cain ultimately killed his brother Abel. And the interesting thing is, as you read the story, Abel's crying out, you know, help me, help me. You know, why are you doing this to me, brother? And then his voice is silenced as Cain kills him, murders him. And we think, okay, the story's done. But you read on, verse 10, it says there, and the blood of Abel cried out for justice. Justice with God goes beyond the grave. Interesting thought. That the justice of God, even the blood of Abel, was able to cry out to God for justice. That's a whole other theological issue to take a tangent on. We won't this morning. But the reminder is this, God is a lover of justice. He loves justice and God's judgment brings justice, making things right. The final thing, point I wanna leave with you this morning is God's judgment brings reconciliation. God's judgment brings reconciliation. See, sin continues to tear heaven and earth apart. 
In fact, Paul said creation itself groans as if a, chi- as if a woman in childbirth, waiting for judgment, waiting for restoration, waiting for reconciliation between creator and creation. And even this last week, as we saw the earthquake, that is, as, as, as Paul writes, one of those groaning experiences of the earth, groaning, hoping for the day. God's judgment, bringing everything perfect and reconciling heaven and earth. God's judgment isn't about just a punishment. That's the unfortunate thing. Too many of us parents, we just punish our kids. It's not about punishing your kids. It's about reconciling your kids to a right way of life, reconciling your children to a right relationship with you. You don't just punish to punish. You punish to discipline. And God does this. He brings his judgment in a way that will reconcile us to him. That's why Peter writes, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance not wanting anyone to perish because the price tag of sin is death the wages of sin is death sin must be judged God's justice must be taken care of and the price must be paid Isaiah 53 the prophet wrote looking forward to Christ and his sacrifice he wrote these words surely he took up our infirmities he took up our carried our sorrows Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He took on himself our punishment so that he could reconcile us to him. See, God loves his children enough not to leave us in the mold and in the muck and the mess of our lives. He doesn't want to just leave us there. He wants to come and do an extreme makeover in our lives. Thanks, Ty Pennington, for being with us this morning. But as you watch extreme makeover, what do they do? They don't go to a house that's full of mold, that's full of termites. They don't go into a house where the plumbing's leaking and they go in and just slap some paint on the walls and put a bucket under the leaking faucet. Go, we did it. Welcome to your new home. What do they do? They go in there. They find all the mistakes. They find all the rotten things. And what do they do? They cut it out. In a sense, they are judging the house. And when the owners come back and their work is all done, the owners are, "Ah, I can't believe this part I ever dreamed it would be, you know. But it took a lot of cutting out to get it to that point. God's judgment isn't about just slapping some paint on the walls to make us quote-unquote look pretty enough for a day or two. His judgment loves us enough to cut the areas out of our life that need to be cut out. When I asked Pastor Earl, what do you want me to kind of have as the message you want me to bring home this week? And he said, I want you to bring home this message. The gospel is the good news of God's judgment. I'm like, oh, that's easy enough. The gospel is the good news of God's judgment. What does God need? He needs justice. He needs sin to be dealt with. He needs the price of sin to be paid, which is death. But his judgment also has love. 
And he loved us enough to send his own son, as Isaiah said, to take on our afflictions, to take on our sin, and to stand there between heaven and earth and take care of this sin problem that's in each and every one of our lives. Here's the crazy thing. We said earlier, God is holy. He's perfect. He's above all. And what does he say to us? He says, be ye holy as I am holy. That's a good old King James version. But be ye holy as I am holy. And you're like, oh yeah, perfection. <laughs> That's easy enough. Look at me. Not. So if I'm supposed to be holy in order to get into this banquet, if I'm supposed to be holy to get into the presence of God, how is that going to work? Look at my life. It's messed up. That's when we take on the garments of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you and I are not pushed out by bouncer God, but we're welcomed in by the greeter of heaven himself saying, welcome. You're here this morning not because you did so, so many right things. You're not entering into the kingdom because you are such a good Christian person. You are here today welcoming into the kingdom of God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's God's judgment. And that's what God was willing to do for you and for me. Would you stand with me this morning? We'll all be honest with each other. There's a lot about God's judgment we'll never understand, probably this side of this world. There are questions we're going to have. But if we can believe God's judgment is perfect and we can believe He is a just God, we have to trust Him. And I don't know where you're at today, friend, but my challenge is to you to trust the great judge of this world. You might have questions right now that are just stirring in you and you're frustrated. Trust Him. You might be here this morning and you've been one of those people that have looked at God as just an angry old man and you said, I want nothing to do with it. I hope this, this morning's message softened your heart and your willingness to trust Him with your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, let us just every day give you praise and thank you for your amazing judgment in our lives. Even sometimes when it hurts, and at other times when we realize the full scope, God, of what you've done for us with your love and your justice. God, I pray that we'll go out of this place this morning and we'll be some of those servants that go out and just, Lord, want to shout to everyone around us, God's having a party and he's inviting you. And I pray, God, just how we live this week, how we talk this week, We'll let this world know God's inviting everyone. And God, we just say thank you again for inviting us. Help us, God, to be clothed in your garments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.